because I'm always the sort of person who will say, well, when I finish this, then I'll, you know, then I'll go and have whatever fun. Um, like I, I'm, I always want to get it done first. Uh, and there's just no getting it done. Like I'm, I'm never going to be caught up. Um, and like, this is, I don't, this isn't like some kind of spiritual, like second half of life thing. I, this is just learning to be an adult. <laughs> I've had to go like, oh, there's never a break. There's never a stopping point. You just have to like decide that I'm going to not do this work right now and go do something else. I made it through the morning before I fell apart without warning. I took a deep breath to collect myself. I'll have a good afternoon. Hello again, friends. Thank you for listening to Good Afternoon. Uh, we're so glad you're here. I'm joined in the studio today by the uh, the esteemed... Uh, I don't have other adjectives, <laughs> but what more do you need to be than esteemed? <laughs> it feels Megan right. Lyons. Uh, <laughs> is it just lion or is it lions? There's no S. I'm S-less. Lion. I also feel like uh, this might need to be added as like a as a note somewhere we just need to make sure that we address that we're not just saying megan weird <laughs> her name is megan it's actually <laughs> pronounced that way yes that's it's not just how i say it i'm married to a megan and i'm joined on this podcast by a megan right and not- also the just a little bit less esteemed <laughs> dr joe <laughs> that's not right <laughs> How are you two feeling today? I'm good. I'm good. I feel good. You're good, Joe? Yeah, I feel great. It is about time. I know, <laughs> my God. <laughs> yeah, I had a rough, rough couple of weeks there. Good Lord. Welcome to the evening of your life, Joe. <laughs> You've made it through the rough patch. <laughs> How are you, Drew? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I turned in a, a big paper that had been weighing on me. Um, for the past five weeks, I turned it in right before I got on this call. So, all right, hey. this mug is celebratory. It's a Excellent. Big old cup of mind your own business. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm into these days. As you students are finishing up your papers, we teachers are just getting started with them. Yeah. Uh. You don't really read them though, right? Like I nah. turned that one in today and yeah. I genuinely as it was as I turned it in, I yelled to my wife. I was like, "If I get better than a B on that, I'm not trying on anything ever again." <laughs> 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 I, I know what that was. <laughs> that was B I, minus material. I do legitimately read every word yeah. of my students' papers. Nerd alert. Yeah. <laughs> of course you do. That's right. You're you're an Enneagram five. Why would you not read every word? <laughs> That's right. Um. Yeah. I, other than that, though, I'm I'm pretty good. A lot of music stuff. A lot of kids stuff. It's just normal life stuff happening every minute of every day. So today we are getting into um, probably the most practical i don't know how practical it will actually end up being whenever it's all said and done but (laughs) the most practical episode of this yet uh where we're actually going to talk a little bit about 
you know, how to have a mystical experience, if that's even something that you have any control over whatsoever. Um, but I thought it might be an interesting place to start by talking about your morning routine. What do you, uh, what do we do every day to sort of set some kind of intention or trajectory for the day? I don't know what works for you. Or what does I don't I guess it doesn't matter if it works or not. It's just what do you do <laughs> in the morning? It? What do you do so, before you get here? <laughs> let me go first because I don't want to follow Megan oh, because no. I'm I I always feel embarrassed about this question. If somebody <laughs> it's so stupid, but I do feel embarrassed about the morning routine question because everybody I know, you know, I don't know. I hang out with like a lot of people who are really highly productive and also very spiritual people. Um, and like, everybody's like, I get up in the morning and I work out, you know, really hard. And then I take a cold shower and then I spend an hour meditating <laughs> and then I have a green smoothie and then I'm ready to go for the day. You know, good Lord. And you got to stop hanging out with Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> like, I always think that everybody's doing that and I just don't do shit. I used to, <laughs> I used to, um, for a long time, I have all pretty much all my life. I have been the sort of person who I'm a night owl, night owl, uh, and so thirty minutes before I have to leave for whatever I'm doing, I that's when I roll out of bed, like take a shower, change clothes, and roll out. Um, but during the pandemic, um, like early on in the pandemic, when everybody was like, eh, "Just don't come to work." And we'll just nobody's gonna work for a little bit. Um, we got really spoiled, Gwendolyn and I, and we would just like we would have coffee time. Uh, you know, it was spring. We'd sit out on the porch uh, and have like oh. two hours of just drinking coffee and reading oh, and whatever. Nice. And I was like, this I just can't give this up now. So now I wake up two hours before I need to get ready uh, and just sit either in bed or on the porch, depending on the weather and drink coffee, but I don't do anything worthwhile. While I do it. Like I, I'll read a little or, uh, you know, play games on my phone or talk to Gwendolyn or what, like, I don't, you know, we don't do anything productive to prepare for the day. Uh, she she does. She's working on her dissertation now, so she uses that time to read. But um, that's it. I drink coffee for a very long time, <laughs> and then I then I you know rush to get ready. Uh, important question: Do you drink one cup of coffee for a really long period of time, or do you drink a lot of coffee? I drink about a cup and a half of coffee in that period. Wow. All right, that's helpful. Uh, to like know. a big mug and a half. <laughs> I think I think that sounds fabulous, Joe. I mean, that's yeah. to me it feels like mindfulness, right? You're present with your coffee. I no, mean, maybe not really. <laughs> not re- no, no, okay. it's not it's not that spiritual at all. It's just like I'm scrolling through Facebook 
Okay. Okay. For, <laughs> for Joe, two this, hours. Is, this is the story. This is the story of Joe as I know him a lot too. Where he's like, I'm just not a very religious person, or I'm not a very spiritual person. And then he starts listing off the things that he does. You're like, you're not a very religious person. You work in a church. You're a professor of religious. Stu- you have a PhD in theology. <laughs> Along with a bachelor's and a master's, you do. let's remind you. Yeah, <laughs> all, in, all in religious stuff. Yeah. Uh, you have a podcast where you talk about how you're not religious <laughs> or spiritual. Uh, yeah, I, I don't mind following you, Megan, because I don't think anybody's going to want to follow me here. <laughs> oh, okay. Actually, yeah, I'm not going to be that hard to follow. Like, really, what I was going to say is that I don't feel like this is a fair question to ask a person who's not a morning person. Because ask me about my nighttime routine. Yes, yes. Like, I I just barely get through the mornings, you know. And so I have a few little routines that I do that aren't that significant, but. I do a, I do read a daily reader every day. So right now I'm reading a book of Rumi poems. And so and I literally while I'm putting on makeup I reflect on what the Rumi poem said. So it's not like I'm stopping what I'm doing. Um and before I do that I take a shower and try to take a minute of mindfulness while I'm in the shower. So even if it's something as simple as just taking a moment to smell the soap or feel the water against my skin. So just very minor moments of connecting with the moment. You and take a shower every day? <laughs> yes. Is, that, is this weird? Gross. <laughs> yes. Yuck. Absolutely. I'm not, you know, yeah. I need that shower. Like that shower wakes me up in the morning. It's like other people's coffee. I don't drink coffee, mm-hmm. so I need the shower to wake me up. Oh. Yeah. One of these. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. And I then, take a shower whenever I remember it's been a while since I took a shower. <laughs> like do, you, do you smell your pits and say, oh, That's shower funny. time, shower time. Um, and then the, the one other thing I do, other than, okay, I eat the exact same breakfast every single morning. Like probably 340 days out of the year, this is the exact same breakfast I eat. Only when I travel do I eat something different. And if I Captain Crunch with chocolate chips in it, <laughs> that would probably be more exciting. But no, <laughs> peanut butter and apple and toast with butter. That's it. Uh, but anyway, nice. the, la- the the last thing that I do that I feel like is important, even though it doesn't sound spiritual, but for me it is, is while I'm eating breakfast, I watch some kind of stupid sitcom. So right now I'm watching um, Abbott Elementary, and I, oh yeah, and and it's it's hilarious. So. I feel like that I need to laugh every morning. So I make sure that I insert some laughter into my morning, and that just feels like such a good way to start the day. Um, So it's not that spiritual, but it feels like a good way to open up the day. And as far as contemplative practices, I, I think I've shared before on this podcast that I do that on Sundays, and I do a deeper dive for two hours on Sunday afternoon. So I get that, and I get it in my everyday moments, just taking a little silence in the car when I'm driving somewhere, taking walks in nature. So I I pop it into my day, but it's not a normal morning ritual for me to do that. 
So yeah, that, not, I'm not that hard to follow. So let's see. Do it, right? I didn't want to follow that. <laughs> yeah, well, see, here's the thing. This is, I, I'm happy to follow both we, of you. We get better and better as we go. <laughs> and to demonstrate for everyone on the everyone who's listening to the podcast right now, like what exactly I'm doing here. When I was asked the question, "What is your morning routine?" My honest, like, first response was. Well, it depends on what day it is and what stuff I have to do in the morning. <laughs> so I'm listening to both That's of you talk about like you have two hours of coffee time and you make space for it and you take a shower every day and have the same <laughs> breakfast. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, yesterday, yesterday I did have like a pretty good practice. I got up and I read like 20 pages in, uh, I'm reading The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. <laughs> Um, yeah, which is a fun one, but just like literature, just something there. The the day before that, picked up a guitar first thing in the morning, uh, noodled around, see if I could turn, uh, Faith by George Michael into a second line jazz song, like a marching New, New Orleans marching jazz song. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that I want to hear, I Today hear I got that. up and wrote a paper. <laughs> uh, hire me for your wedding reception. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm on yeah, it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> DrewDunbarMusic.com. Um, <laughs> Drew Dunbar Music. <laughs> DrewDunbar.com. Oh, shit. Sorry. Um, yeah, I, I really don't. I mean, we also have we have three kids, and we wake up to various levels of um, crisis or excitement or whatever every day, and so I feel like you know, hearing hearing Joe say his approach to things. Is probably, you know, whenever I had a morning routine, that was the answer. It was figure out the earliest possible time that things start to get crazy here and get up before that, like however much time you want. But I mean, here lately, it's been since the pandemic, probably for me too, it's probably been two or three years that I have zero um, ritual. And you also got to, you know, you got to remember, like I was raised and lived as an evangelical Christian with quiet time disciplines, well-established in my life for, I'm 36 now, probably for 32 years. Um, Mm -hmm. from about age 16 to age 32. You should say uh, what quiet time means because I would get up, (laughs) read the Bible, pray, write in yeah. prayer journals. I still have stacks of them. Picked one up the other day, got so embarrassed and I was like if anybody ever read this, I would have to murder them. <laughs> um I have wow. thousands of pages of just the things that I wrote down as prayers so there would be, you know, record document so that whenever they were answered I could point back like Joyce Myers does <laughs> whenever she opens her journals on stage. Um so yeah, for the past three or four years since, since kind of um, leaving a part of my religiosity behind, uh, I just haven't picked up any kind of regular morning routine again, um, as a as a form of punk rock resistance, I guess to it. Uh, but it's not great for me. All that said, <laughs> leading into the next part of the conversation, I do feel like I was probably better with the ritual. Like, it didn't have to be all purity culture and hate myself and guilt <laughs> guilt prayers right, and, yeah. like, right. sorry, God, I, uh, I did, sorry I only prayed for an hour and a half yesterday. You deserve at least two. Like, 
you know, I could leave that stuff behind and still have the morning uh, pattern um, getting some sort of control. And I don't have that right now. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes we have to let everything fall apart to create what's our new pattern. So maybe this is the time. This is the Everything time. Everything has fallen apart. There you go, Drew. <laughs> it all fell apart and now you're ready. You look great. I am a good afternoon future success story. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for that episode. <laughs> uh, let me pull up the real questions. So the reason that we wanted to start there, I think, was because in theory, at least, morning routines are our way of sort of setting some kind of intention for the day, setting some sort of like precedent for how we're going to approach the day. And I, I think I read a quote once that basically said, um, how you live each day is how you live your life or something like that's not very novel. It's not very interesting, but it is one of those things where you're like, well, shit, if that's true, yeah, right. <laughs> then I'm not sure what, I, but it's, you know, it's, it's an important kind of idea to remember how I live each day is that's it. This is it. Life is happening. There is no other thing you get to do. You're doing it today. Um, and so having some kind of intention for the day in the morning, some kind of ritual, some kind of pattern is probably, probably useful, <laughs> uh, <laughs> But how do we, how are we going to talk about mystical experiences on this? How do we prepare for big, I don't know, life-altering experiences with the divine? Yeah, so I have some thoughts on that. Um, I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the question that that we had talked about was this idea of of can you create mystical experiences, and you know, it is it something that you can make happen or is it just something that happens and and so I reflected on that and and what came to me is that what we can create is contemplative experiences so we can create opportunities to slow down to really uh, move into a more reflective state to be open to what could potentially become a mystical experience um, I don't I don't know if we can make it happen, but we can be open to it happening. And I thought about something that uh, Chelsea Wakefield, who is one of the Hayden speakers, Hayden Institute speakers, she said back when I was a student, she talked about how many of us water ski across transformation. And the way I took that is that we are just so busy, like we are just full speed ahead. And we don't slow down enough to see what's right there below the surface, like looking for this, the depth that's below the surface where there's all this beauty and, and just all this, all this content, all this stuff inside of ourselves. We're too busy just rushing through. So contemplation helps us to slow down and go within and, and look into that depth. And from that slowing down, then there are opportunities for mystical experiences to happen. So, I, you know, I think, yeah, of course, there are certain drugs that people can use that can most likely create a mystical experience. But I think most of us, it's really just about showing up to what's already there and paying attention to it. And, and, then, and then they come to us. Um, 
without us really making them happen, but just seeing them. They're, maybe they're maybe they're there all along. Maybe they're right underneath the surface all along, and we just aren't paying attention. Yeah, that um, that brings to mind for me, especially whenever you talk about the the drug induced element of it. What we're really talking about, if we're talking about a mystical experience or a drug induced experience like that, is beginning to question or at least be open to the idea that what we think of as reality is just a construct Mm -hmm. does that make some sense like so that's what that's what the drugs do that's what the mystical mystical experience does it makes you think wait there's something bigger than what i thought Mm -hmm. happening Mm -hmm. here there's something else Mm -hmm. happening here Mm -hmm. the way that i thought about this the box that i had for this before is now too small or you know the wrong shape or something like that yeah Mm -hmm. interesting joe do you have thoughts on yeah i i mean i think that seems right that there's some like that there's something um you know do you think that mystical experiences mystical experience like this i always wondered when i heard people describe this like what you just described that like there's a knowing that there's something deeper um, or that our current perceptions of reality are not, um, you know, what, what we thought they are. I, (laughs) I always, this is my very Enneagram five response to that is to go like, well, just tell me what it is then. Right. (laughs) Like if there's something underneath here, just tell me about it. And then I will have had the benefit of the experience. Um, if it's about a knowing, right? And so, yeah, it's worth saying if there are people out there like me, it's a different kind of knowing. Um, that is that has nothing to do with something that you could read or have explained right. to you. There's a, there's a deep, I don't know, maybe a uh, an embodied kind of knowing. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if that's the right word for it. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. Like, it makes me think of, um. It's like one of those Joe Rogan conspiracy theories where it's like, oh, it's all a simulation. Everything that's happening is a sim. Here's the explanation to it all. This is a simulation. You're living out some sort of hallucinogenic simulation. You're a, you're you're being controlled by robots or what? It's like the okay. Matrix or whatever. You know, like a lot of people kind of have that sort of yeah. Just tell me what it actually is then. Tell me what is the. Which conspiracy theory is correct here? Which yeah, story, yeah. which narrative is correct here? And I think a, a true mystical experience is to come into a place where you're like, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter which one's correct. <laughs> like, that's not, that that is an irrelevant question. Like, is God's name God? Or is God's name Yahweh? Is God's name, what, like, this is, it's a, it's okay to ask that question. It's okay to have that conversation, but at the same time, that is not um, that is not going. I don't know if deep enough is the right word or broad enough, or it's still not quite it. We're talking about a thing that can't be talked about mm-hmm. once yeah. more. Right. Yeah. Right. And like I don't. So on the question of like preparing or whatever, I think like it seems like you can. To me, I mean, it seems like there are, um, you know, maybe it's just like 
what Megan is saying is that like it's all <clears throat> it's all there beneath the surface. It's all there behind the curtain, and we just don't take the time to peel it back, right? Um, and so if you slow down enough, that's you know there's no no guarantee, um, but it seems like reliably people have experiences like the ones that we're describing um, by spending just a shit ton of time in meditation or by taking LSD, right? Like these things are just, these are paths that uh, people tend to describe having these experiences reliably. Um, and like, I don't, I don't do either of those things. Um, so, and I have fallen. So you, I think you can also stumble into, um, right. You can fall off the water skis by accident, uh, that I you agree. didn't even, you didn't even intend to, you weren't, you weren't preparing, uh, and so there's that gift element, right? It It is a gift, whether you're slowing down or not. And you can sort of like put yourself in these contemplative practices that, that make you, um, more, more susceptible, more open. I don't know. I remember reading, um, oh, somebody help me with the guy's name, the practice of the presence of God, uh, Anyway, no I idea. I read it. I should know that some monk, um, <laughs> in the in the Middle Ages, and he's describing essentially mindfulness. He he's at this monastery, and he's like the dishwasher at the monastery, and he decides he's gonna like be aware of the presence of God in every moment, in every. Um, and so it's like a, a theistic like a Christian theistic version of mindfulness, um, just like this continual awareness. And there, there's like a throwaway line at the beginning when he's describing how, he, you know, it's a process that he's learning to be aware of the presence of God in every moment. Uh, and at the beginning of that description, he says, well, the first 10 years were hard. And then, and like he just goes into how he does it. It like throws away the whole first 10 years of like, well, that was hard. And I think, I mean, we've established from my morning routine that I just don't have that kind of discipline where I can be like, well, you know, tried it out for the first 10 years. And then I started to get a sense of how to do that. Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not the sort of person that, um, will, will spend my life in daily meditation, trying to prepare for these experiences and part of the afternoon of my life has been coming to terms with that like man i'm not that kind of (laughs) i'm not i'm not gonna do these spiritual disciplines i'm just not um at least those kind and and i'm not interested uh in so you know some of the psychotropic drugs that uh can get you there more quickly or that people describe so like I don't know. I think you can. I think you can prepare for this kind of experience. I think you can really do some things to open yourself up to it, but I don't really do that. <laughs> well, and so what's coming up for me, Joe, is is maybe, I don't know, if a lot of times when people think about meditation, what comes into their mind is, you know, someone sitting cross-legged and um, 
oming or whatever it may be, which is a beautiful thing, right? I mean, so it's not to say that's not a meditation. Of course it is. But I feel like there are so many ways to be contemplative that don't look anything like that. I mean, right, it can be working your dream. It can be walking a labyrinth. It can be walking in nature. It can be, um, you know, working with a spiritual director. I mean, there, there are just... There are a hundred different ways, if not more, probably thousands of ways to tap into that, um, to tap into that divine within us. Um, and so it's really about finding the way that connects you and that's, that is manageable in your life. You know, when I first started my business, that like the thing that I felt like I wanted to help people to do is to be able to have a life that's both meaningful and manageable. So it's like you got to have both. Like it's got to be something that that fits into your life and is sustainable and works. And if you have three kids like the two of you do, <laughs> right, like that changes. It changes what you're able to do. Yeah. Um, and so you've got to find what's manageable for you, but there's still always room for, for something that's meaningful, in my opinion. I've been reading recently about um... – some Taoist meditation that's like in English, it's it's usually translated as tranquil sitting. Um, and it's literally just like you should sit down more often, <laughs> like and not do anything like yes. which I find really appealing um, because I you love to sit. I love to sit. <laughs> um, and I, I find when. You know, when people even describe mindfulness, which I know, like, a lot of people um, have really beautiful mindfulness practices, and I I think that's great. I, the second somebody describes mindfulness to me, I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't, I'm not interested. I don't, like, and the, the idea of even any kind of meditation that I um, have tried where it's like, um, you know, you're trying to bring awareness to your breath or you're trying to watch the thoughts go by and kind of let them it's all it's just so much work to me and i'm like no i don't want to do it and so there's a great story in this um this Taoist thing that i was reading and where you know the the student is starting to meditate and the the like guru or whatever says just sit there and and he's like okay do i uh should I close my eyes? <laughs> and he's like, do you want to close your eyes? I don't know. There's only one way to find out. So he try, tries it. And he's like, no, I don't think I do. Okay. All right. So should I, should I clear my mind? No, just sit there. Should, <laughs> should I, should I um, bring awareness to my breath? Do you want to bring awareness to your breath? No, I don't think so. Okay. Like, and it's just like, just sit there. Just, like, can you just sit down for a minute and not do anything? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really appealing to me. <laughs> when As you, when you say, so I want to say something to both, to, to what each of you said. First, Joe, whenever you say, it's really interesting. You hear people describing mindfulness practices and your, your knee-jerk reaction is like, oh, well, I don't want to do that. No, thank you. Um, and I have the opposite knee-jerk reaction whenever I hear people talking about sitting and following your breath or body scanning even like just the the simplest act of every time I hear someone say 
well, you should probably just go out and stand on your patio barefoot and feel the cool gravel under your like do that when i hear someone say that i was like oh yeah that would help wouldn't it like i (laughs) those sound those practices sound so simple and so helpful and i know they are like i know i am built for that i know that's the yet um getting it into regular practice in my life and and honestly thinking of it preemptively like these are these are coping mechanisms and crisis management mechanisms for me at this point um and i think you know somewhere in the afternoon of my life i want them to become uh preventative and you know preparing type of practices like the kinds of things where i could say oh yeah i could just go do that every day (laughs) uh before i feel totally absent you know before I feel like my mind and my body are completely disconnected and I'm experiencing anxiety that I can't pinpoint and I I have no idea what's going on but I know it's bad um those kinds of feelings before feeling those feelings I could kind of address things um so interesting to hear you say you hear those practices and think I don't want to do that I hear those practices and say those sound like great ideas obviously I'm not going to do them but they do sound like yeah they they would be helpful if I did right um, like broccoli. And Megan, you said something like broccoli. Um, broccoli for your soul. That's a good episode title. I'm pretty um, sure that's trademarked. Oh, is it? <laughs> Cauliflower for your soul. Is there anything else that's good for you? Uh, Megan, you said something about the balance between um, meaning. Did you say meaningfulness and... Yeah, a life that's meaningful uh, and manageable. Meaningful and manageable. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the million-dollar conundrum for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it genuinely is. That's what this whole conversation is about for me, honestly, is like striking a balance um, between finding some deep sense of meaning, finding some connection to divine, finding some you know, presence in this moment and also not drowning in the process. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. get in the lake. Don't wake. Don't just ride a wakeboard over the, Like get in the lake, but also don't just sit there. <laughs> like you got a mm-hmm. kick too. Um, so I don't know that just, I, I'd like to hear either one of your thoughts on how you manage that, how you navigate that. What is it like to be to have a meaningful and also manageable existence? Am I losing the words? I feel like no, I'm still losing the yeah, right words. You got that it. Was, you got it. <laughs> meaningful yeah. and manageable. I mean, I I've, I'm still in process of that. Um, the meaningful part for me has always come easy. Like I I just I kind of have that old soul. Like the day I was born, I was reflecting on the meaning of life, kind of thing. Um, so that that part's really easy the manageable part I really struggle with and I feel like if I had to say anything about how I've made progress on that not I'm not there but how I make progress is is a lot of self-compassion really having reasonable expectations of myself and knowing that you know yes I'm I'm a very spiritual person but I am here on this earth and this earth requires certain things that 
I don't know how to get around. If I could, if I could get around them, I would get around them. But it requires mm-hmm. certain things that, that I just, I, I need to be compassionate with myself that those things also matter. I don't want them to be the center of my life. I want them to be the peripheral of my life. And I'm talking about things like, you know, my oil, oil needs changed sometimes and my property taxes need paid and, and all, I've got to go to the dentist twice a year and like all these things that. Boo, no, you don't. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> <It's a scam. laughs> I, I do not want to see your all's teeth right now. Okay. <laughs> but some of us do these things. And, and I want them to be on the peripheral and not become the center or the core because those things are not what my life is about. And so finding a way to, to you know, just be compassionate that I can't do everything. I'm not going to do everything perfectly. Um, I can just show up and do the best I can with, with the amount of time and energy and space I have in my life. Um, and know that it's not going to be perfect the balance is not going to be perfect it's I feel like my life is a continual process of trying to come back into balance and so yeah maybe one day I'll be able to tell you the magic formula but I'm not there yet I I feel like a lot of what you said really resonates with me I feel um very at peace with the you know, contemplating my existence and sitting in a field and just thinking through, like, I I can get on board with that. But I also find that the really pragmatic expectations of my life, like requirements of my life, I don't know if I, I don't even know how I feel about this right now, but at this particular juncture, it feels like those do give my life meaning too. Um, like having a job to do that gets me paid for doing is unfortunately one of the things that makes me feel like I have a purpose Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how healthy that is. I genuinely, I'm, I'm genuinely in conflict with it, but there is something about like, okay, Drew, what are you here to accomplish? Um, sometimes it is a suitable answer for me to be like survive and feed my children like that's sometimes it's easy it's just easier to have a really concrete answer and something about that makes because that helps me find patterns of rest you know like yesterday i had a a really a really good big kind of high-paying gig that i played um it was a lot of preparation and a lot of stress and I had to leave the house at like two o'clock in the afternoon and I got back at midnight and um, everything went wrong and everything went right and everything. Ha- and then and then I wake up this morning, do an essay, turn that stuff in. And now I have this feeling that's really addictive, this feeling of like I did important um, like type a personality stuff that drew is not always super good at that artist drew isn't very good at that mindful drew isn't very good at i did that stuff and now i feel more present Mm. now i feel like as soon as i get off of this call i can walk outside barefoot Mm. and stand there for a while and i feel like i've earned it Mm. and again Mm. I, i don't know how healthy that is 
I, I don't know that that's great for me. I don't know that that's a really good spiritual place to be, but it is true. It is accurate. It is kind of somewhere ingrained in me is this like requirement to provide and I don't know, sort of earn your rest, earn your, earn the right to go be a hippie um, by first, you know, spending a few years on Wall Street or what? <laughs> I don't know, whatever the metaphor, I'm mixing everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally relate to that, Drew. I mean, that was something that, that, there's something to be said about that that's like the way that we show up in the world that I do think is important so I'm not saying I'm not putting that down at all but there was a time for me that the only way I would give myself permission let's say to go on a retreat or to sleep in or whatever is only if I had just spent myself completely there was nothing left of me and then okay now you deserve it because number one you've done something important and number two you you have no other choice right at this point it's like you've got to do something to restore yourself and it was years and years of of that kind of practice self between self-care and contemplation where I got to the point of doing what you were talking about earlier the preventative work like not waiting until I'm exhausted but recognizing that I'm, I'm in need of maintenance I mean you know just like our cars need maintenance. We don't wait till the till the engine crashes before we change our oil, that that's something that I need um, on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, this, this kind of reminds me of, um, so Matthew Fox, not the actor, but the theologian, uh, talks about, <clears throat> he has these, what he calls the four paths, and uh, it's two of them relevant. Uh, the negative way, um, and what leads out of the neg- like what comes out of the negative way is what he calls the the creative way. Um, and by creative he means resurrection, life. Uh, like uh, I I think what we're calling mystical experience, he would mm-hmm. he would call the creative way, and um. <clears throat> It's like, so, so that is born, he says, in, in the negativa, in the negative way. And, uh, the, the negative way he describes as both, um, emptying, uh, in, if you think of sort of like transcendental kind of meditation where you're emptying yourself of like, you're letting go of thoughts, um, you're, letting go you're letting your emotions pass you by like you're you're emptying yourself in this kind of contemplative way but also suffering and pain mm-hmm. are are negativa experiences and also he says i think this is really interesting comedy is negativa because it mm-hmm. brings your guard down right mm-hmm. um like makes you vulnerable negativa is, is mm-hmm. vulnerability and so part of the reason that we can prepare for these experiences but also just fall off the water skis um unexpectedly is that like suffering and pain like you can be you can you can either voluntarily take off these layers and like pour your you know empty yourself and and be open to 
creative space or you can eventually have it stripped away um and i don't know that i don't i'm i don't want to suggest that there's some kind of correlation between like if you don't take the time to do contemplative practice your life's going to fall apart um you know I, it's not a scare tactic like that and and actually like now that i'm talking about this i have a spiritual direction client who really hates it when i like i don't talk about this anymore with her because um she has had been traumatized in her church experience and her religious experience by this idea that suffering is um something you're supposed to experience because it's good for you right mm-hmm. um and and so i don't i'm not saying that at all i'm not saying that we ought to put ourselves in a place where we can suffer uh so that we're i'm just saying it happens to us it happens yeah. to us right. things like shit hits the fan and th- at that point you're open to um these mystical experiences i think in ways that you're not normally but that maybe you could maybe you can induce in yourself that same experience by contemplative practice by emptying yourself um and but it is a very similar experience to suffering in some ways to pain mm-hmm. that's good um yeah. side note just cuz we've been really in it for a while here uh do either of you have any idea of the uh i don't know if etymology is the right word cuz it's a it's a phrase it's not just a word uh where did the phrase shit hits the fan get started like because <laughs> that's pretty vivid i mean it's a vivid um, metaphor and i think how how would that ever have just started like someone just said it and yeah. people are like oh i get what you mean <laughs> like i feel like it had to originally be a reference to something that happened yeah once yeah well you probably probably around the time of the spread of the black plague or something like that and like <laughs> you probably need to buy some uncle john's bathroom readers drew and you could probably find okay. the answer oh, in yeah, one of those might find the answer to that yes <laughs> i bet it's there somewhere um so i let me let me address just another element of my pathology that might cue up some other things for the experts um <laughs> <laughs> so I definitely have found at times um, I'm a lot more open to mystical experiences. I'm a lot more whenever I have accomplished things. So that's one of the things where it's like, is that good? Is it bad? But it is helpful. It is. I do find myself most at peace with life whenever I have done the things I have to do to give myself permission to be at peace with life and to experience something at a deeper level. When I have gnawing like tasks that I know have to be done, I'm not able to be present and for some reason i still can't find a whole lot of presence in the accomplishment of the tasks that's that's a real focus of this particular part of the afternoon of my life is like i want to be at work and present like i want to do the things that i have to do and also realize that's my life too like that's that's something i'm um Mm -hmm. but another thing to just sort of think about here i also um the other half of me, the other side of me, there's a part of me that really, really enjoys blowing off things that need done. And I can actually find myself super present and super, like, really enjoy an experience whenever I know there's work that needs done and I'm getting to blow it off by go on, going on this walk right now. <laughs> like, I mm-hmm. like being able mm-hmm. to say, 
I'll write this paper better if I go to the gym and then come back and play video games for 45 minutes with my four-year-old son. Like, if we play Streets of Rage for a while, then I'll write the paper better. Like, actually, like, having something to blow off makes me more creative and makes me more... I don't know. Do you have any thoughts yes. towards that? That's t- that you're. It's real. Is my thought about that? Is I mean, there's research that shows that when we give ourselves pauses, that we come back differently. That that people who you know, for instance, if if you've got an important project you're working on and you just you just plow through it for for four hours nonstop, that there's a breakdown in the neocortex at some point. It's it's because mm. you're just there's no space in there for creativity it creates rigidity in your brain and um when you take that break it really like reprograms those neuro pathways and you come back in a different place than you were and that creativity's back and the flow is back so you're not just making that up that is that's for real happening in your brain chemistry Yeah, I I don't know. I have always I always feel like I have more work to do than can be done in any in any time. I mean, I, that's not a unique experience to me, I know. Amen. But like so I have had to and it's this has been a lot of work. Um but because I'm always the sort of person who will say, "Well, when I finish this, then I'll, you know, then I'll go and have whatever fun." Um like I, I'm I always want to get it done first. Uh, and there's just no getting it done. Like I'm, I'm never going to be caught up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, this is, I don't, this isn't like some kind of spiritual, like second half of life thing. I, this is just learning to be an adult. <laughs> I've had to go like, Oh, there's never a break. There's never a stopping point. You just have to like decide that I'm going to not do this work right now and go do something else. Mm-hmm. I mean, it does come with, like all of all of us have jobs that are not nine to five um and that that include a lot of work that like nobody's looking over your shoulder about uh but you just have to you just have to do it and so it's always there it's not like i you know i don't yeah. punch out ever yeah um so so can i share are you finished joe yeah. Okay, so can I share one of my deepest regrets that mm. um, when I was a school counselor, I used to read this book to my students in kindergarten called The Very Busy Spider. And I want to go back and apologize to every child I read that book to. Mm. So the this book is about this little, it's Eric Carl. They're probably here now. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Right. Experiencing some you're listening. middle middle of life <laughs> yes, crisis. I'm sorry if you're if you're here. <laughs> I'm sorry. Put on. Um, so y- you all probably know the Eric Carl book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar, right? I do. I know the Very Busy Spider. Actually. Okay. Yeah. So I love the, the Very Hungry Caterpillar. You guys are so well read. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we are. Yes. Hey, you have three children. You should know these books, Drew. I don't so, read to them. Uh-huh. I just, I play video games with them. Oh, this is <laughs> this is what's wrong with the world today. Um, True life skills. <laughs> but anyway, so this book is about this spider who is building his or her web. I don't know if it ever really says. Maybe it does. Um, let's call her a she. 
And so she's building her web and she gets all these great invitations. Like these animals come to her and say like, would you like to roll in the mud with me? And she says, no, I'm very busy um, spinning my web. And then the next one comes up. Would you like to go uh, frolic in the field with me? No, I'm very busy spinning my web. And this goes on and on and on until she finally gets her webs spun and then it's nighttime and it's time to go to sleep and she rests well because she finished all her work and of course the message is like you get your work done and then you can play although she never played like she just went to bed and and so looking back on that I'm like this is such a sad story like I wish that she had taken the time to go frolic in the field I think it's necessary for our health and well-being to to take those pauses and the space in our life to just not just for contemplation but just for joy and play and fun and she missed all that. So it's that is one pretty of, weird message for 5-year-olds. You're right. <laughs> it really it really is. And and You know I, what's wrong with you kids? <laughs> it don't work enough. Yeah. <laughs> I know, and I read this to them. Like, what kind of a, a sociopath am I? You pull, you're gonna pull up a pull up a doc, documentary footage of a sweatshop in China. It's like, look at what these kids can do. See, thank you for making. This is why there's no good manufacturing in the United States anymore. <laughs> thank you, thank you for helping me feel worse about myself. Okay, thank you. And yet, Megan, and yet. The purpose of a spider's web is to catch the food it needs to live. Uh, so to be okay. in the grand scheme right, of the conversation right. of this episode, like it is still, it's, uh, it's still a I conflict. It. It's just not that straightforward. Yeah. You're right. What is, right. you know, the the right message of that book, I think, like whether, whether there's any, even any such thing as right and wrong would be, I'm enjoying making my web. <laughs> I'm having fun making my web. Like mm-hmm. that is the that is kind of I don't know that's the desire I have mm-hmm. at this point. Like I'm not trying to say I'm a workaholic, can you help me? I'm not. I think I have a really good balance. I I think I have a really good job. Like I'm very pleased with where I'm at in life in terms of like my professional trajectory. What I'm dissatisfied with is how present I feel like I'm actually able to be in the work. Yeah. I would like to get to the point where I don't feel like if once I do the work, then I'll get to enjoy something in life. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I want to be in the place where this is it, where, where like my, what I, I think I've shared as my, my most present kind of mantra phrase, this is it. Mm-hmm. Life is happening. This is this is the thing. There is no thing on the other side of this thing. The thing is this thing right now. Um, yeah. Thanks for yeah. sharing that that story. I mean, really, <laughs> all the way around. It's such a good example because it's like, why would we tell that to kids? Because that's how the world works. Yes. <laughs> because they'll die if they don't <laughs> at some point. Maybe this is a little uh, like teaser into next episode. Um, I don't know. We haven't talked about what this is going to be about. But, um, Leave it up to Joe to make it sexy. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's, it's going to get real sexy in here right now. Um, we're this we're c- going into the last episode of this season of this show that's about spirituality, and I don't think that we have at all talked about God. 
which is fine. But like, I think it'd be worthwhile to say we we've been talking about like what are mister mystical experiences and how do you maybe prepare for them if that's possible, um, or how do you come by them? But like, what are you experiencing? Are we talking about God? Are we talking about mm. um, experiencing the divine? somehow or is it something else um i think that would be an interesting question that we don't have time for today mm-hmm. yeah that's really good yes. I'd, I'd like to i'd like to go there and obviously just and this is not a teaser this is sort of like addressing that on some level within the context of this conversation i don't use the word god very much anymore because i don't know what the hell it means uh, to me or anybody listening, yeah. um, and every time I hear the phrase the divine, which is what I think I've used most often in this, at least then I'm like, it sounds pretty pretentious uh, to say it that way, but also I don't think people attribute the same kinds of meanings to that. I think yeah. they I think they think I mean something pretentious, and I'm like, yeah, that's what I, that's why I chose that phrase because I want you to I want you to have to think and judge me for for being weird for making it weird <laughs> yeah <laughs> for whatever reason talking about god is not that weird in our culture yeah, even though yeah. we joke about it being weird it's not mm. that's that's normal language but it if it's not weird it's not mystical <laughs> i agree with that yeah and i think god is a more charged word and so yeah the divine just it does there's there's a lot Let's more room for creativity there just to to allow each person to make their own meaning around that word. So the final episode of this season, we're going to get into who is God yeah. and what does he do? <laughs> I still I still use he. Yeah, I, was I can't. <laughs> I can't get away from it. I, who is God and what does he do? We need to work on that. I've, I've heard you both use she and they and you're just, you're wrong. So... <laughs> Read the Bible. Uh, maybe we're not. Gonna, maybe we're not going to do a last episode after all. I'm not sure I want to do. Is this. it clear to everyone that I'm kidding? Like 95 percent of the time, is it? Is it obvious that? Also, comedy is necessary to keep our guard. That's down. right. There you go. Hi, this is Megan in Richmond, Virginia. I'm Drew's wife, and I'm not on this podcast. That's a Megan, and I'm a Megan. Thank you for listening to Good Afternoon, an invitation to the contemplative life. If you like this episode, please leave a review and share it with a friend or on social media. I made it through the morning before I fell apart without warning. I took a deep breath to collect myself. I'll have a good afternoon. Gonna 